Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>
to send your message to us, Father God, and help us to hear it and receive it, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, if you have your Bibles today, we'll turn to the book of Job, chapter 19. And we're going to continue on a little while here in the book of Job. I believe there's some serious word here for us today uh, to get a hold of, to, as our sister said, words to live by. And we can get a lot from the life of the patriarch Job as we look to the Word of God today. You know, Dr. V.E. Frankel in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, tells of life among concentrate camp inmates in World War II. He discovered that the men who found meaning in their experiences tended to survive, while those who found no meaning steadily deteriorated in body, mind, and spirit. Speaking of the person who has discovered the why, Frankel says, he knows the why for his existence, and he will be able to bear any how. Job was tormented, as we've seen, after the disaster that struck him because he was unable to discover God's why for him. For this reason, he had a difficulty with the how of God's dealings. You know, it's usually easier for a person to bear adversity, no matter how severe that adversity may be, if we understand the reason for it. Today's message here in Job 19 deals with his reaction to the mystery of his sufferings. On one hand, he correctly pointed to God as the one who permitted his difficulties. And on the other hand, he expressed the timeless hope of all believers that God, the Redeemer, would come to his aid and vindicate him. Yes. Before we begin, let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you, Lord, as your servant today. And Lord, that's all that I am, your servant. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here with your people to minister to your people. Father, in and of myself, I am nothing. Lord, I ask for the anointing of your Spirit to communicate your word, your life to your people. Speak to each one of our hearts today, Lord, from your great word. Holy Spirit, make it alive in us. Plant that word into our hearts. Lord, let it grow. Let it produce the fruit in us that you so desire. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. We'll look at three things today in this message, which is entitled, We Can Be Sure. Just as Job was sure, we can be sure. Three things. We'll see Job's complaint, his concern, and ultimately his confidence. Hallelujah. But in Job chapter 19, that's where we'll begin. We'll see his complaint, or in other words, his charge. In verse 1, we have these words, Then Job answered and said, Now he was answering the uh, chief critic in the few chapters before uh, chapter 19, Bill Dad, and his friends had come to uh, supposedly console him. They ended up lamb-blasting him and blaming him for the situation that he was in. So I believe this message today will help us because all Christians, all believers face adversity at one time or another in our lives. Some more severe than others. Some extremely severe. It often looks like God is unfair and God is against us and God is not working with us. But in fact, He has our best interests in mind no matter what we're going through. We can be assured of that. And certainly the book of Job does assure us of those things. But here, Job is answering Bildad and he says, How long, verse 2 of 19, will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my errors remain with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then what God has put me in the wrong and close His net about me. What is actually Job saying? Now we have some language here in the book of Job, very difficult at times to understand, but basically what Job was saying was that his friends were reproaching him for a sin that he did not commit knowingly at all. You remember the last message last week, we talked about how Job didn't think of himself in a self-righteous way, that he was sinless, 
He had asked God to search his heart out if there was sin in his life that he didn't know about, he wanted it revealed. And Job knowingly had not committed any sin. Well, we know the story from the, the first message in our series that there was a, a discussion going on between God and Satan in heaven over Job here on the earth. And that was the reason for Job's difficulty. Well, that was one of the reasons. There was actually a, a higher purpose in God allowing it. And we'll see that as these messages unfold. But here his friends were blaming him. He says, if it is even true that I've erred or sinned or done something wrong, he says, I've not done anything to hurt you. Why are you coming against me? Remember what we said? With friends like these, who needs enemies? I mean, here they were really uh, pouring it on him. I mean, they were putting gasoline on the fire. I mean, this man was in abject misery. He had lost everything. His finances, his wealth, his family, his friends. And now his health. I mean, here he is on his last leg. And they're still going at him. I mean, what can he do? He tries to defend himself. He complains and says, man, will you... Ten times you cast that's a figure of speech. They just keep going after it. Have you ever had people go after you? Have you ever had people pile on you with something and you're like, I didn't do this. But here the man is being charged wrongly with something that he hadn't done by his friends, his companions. John Lavender, who lived 250 years ago, gave a description of a good conversationalist. And here's the description. He is one who carefully listens, pointedly asks, calmly speaks, coolly answers, and ceases when he has no more to say. Job's friends violated most of John Lavender's qualities of a good conversationalist especially in failing to be quiet when they had no more to say. Do you know what's amazing is when we examine people and we see people who are suffering, and it may be you at one time or another, sometimes it's best just to keep your mouth shut than to think you have an answer for everything. You ever, you ever run across people, they, they know everything. Let me tell you exactly why. And you know, in, in Job's case, it may, 9 out of 10, it may be that way. But there's always that tip. And if you don't know that you know, you better zip it up. Amen? We cause more damage than we do thinking that we got Job's friend. They're going to straighten him out. They thought, think about this, they were taking God's side against Job. Somehow Job had offended God and they're going to take up God's cause against him. Yet they were actually doing the wrong thing. You ever met Christians like that? They're going to fight you and they're going to be right and they're going to prove God is with them and against you and this is how it's going to be. And you have friends like that who needs enemies, eh? <laughs> We see his charge. Now look at his condition in verse 7. Job says this, Behold, I cry out, violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He, that is God, has walled up my way so that I cannot pass by. He has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. And my hope has He pulled up like a tree. He has kindled His wrath against me and counts me as His adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. This is the condition Job felt he was in. That's a pretty dire condition if you think about it. Uh, Miss Ann 
Ms. A. Graham Eichen, in her book, Victory Over Suffering, states that a Christian can respond to trouble in one of three ways. And I agree with her. The first way is they can break down under suffering. They can break out under suffering. Or they can break through under suffering. Breaking down means becoming ill and requiring care. That's an easy way out. Sometimes that's the way that one feels and one must go. Breaking out means resorting to hostile behavior towards others. That's how I usually act. Oh me. Huh? I get PO'd. I just let loose. And that creates even more problems. So I say, help me, Lord. I don't generally break down. To me, that's the ultimate in in, in can't do that. But I do know how to break out. Oh, man. But what we need to know is how to break through in faith. Breaking through means acting like the Apostle Paul would act with faith and hope in God's eventual purpose. If you are in a time or a place of difficulty and suffering like Job was, and, and maybe not on that level, obviously, but no less very dire to you. You need to realize, I need to realize, there is a purpose in our pain. There is a purpose in what we're allowed to go through. God is not the author of our suffering, but He does permit it at times. And He did here with Job. But He had an ultimate goal in mind. And He does for you and me as well when He allows us to go through things. He allows us to be touched. Now look as we read at, read this, this passage. It, something really stood out to me as we were looking at these. and We see that He felt He was stripped of His glory. In other words, His best days were behind Him now. He was, he was the, 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 the king of the hill at one time. I remember being long, tall, and having it all. Come on now. Let me know you can't stay king of the hill forever. Amen. Job had lost his glory. His flower ladies had fallen off. The bloom had done bloomed and it was gone. And Job felt like, look, he breaks me down on every side. And I'm gone. It's all over. My hope, he's pulled up like a tree, been uprooted. Everything in his life had been turned upside down. And a tree without roots will quickly dry up and be gone. That's the way he felt. You ever felt that way in your own life? Have you ever gone through seasons and, or times in your life when you were under such difficulty and duress and you wonder why? I don't understand. You know, my, my hope is in you, Lord, but why have you allowed these things to come upon me? Why have you allowed this difficulty to touch me? And you know, each one of us as we grow older and maybe things begin to break down and we're not what we once were, our glory has kind of begun to diminish, we begin to feel that way. We begin to feel our own mortality. And Job, here he was, and we don't know what his age was at this time. He, he probably wasn't an elderly man, but, but he, he was feeling his own. He thought, it's, it may be, this may be the end. And he was saying, you know, God evidently has kindled His wrath against me. That's how he felt. You ever felt that way? Now you lying if you're telling me you, you, you. you ever felt like God's against me. God's going to kill me right there. He's going to kill me. I know He is because I remember Joe, I, I must have done something when I was young and now I'm going to get paid back for that. But really it wasn't God. Who was doing all the bad stuff to Joe? Who does all the bad stuff to you? Job was right in that God had control. And, and, and we see it in Job, a man going through these difficulties, but he was going through. Amen. I mean, he was going through. You're going through some things in your life right now. You're going through. Hear me? Hear him. You're going to go through. You may think it's going to kill you, in it? It might. I don't know. But He's trying to kill some things in you for sure. 
so that he could bring some things up in you that's even greater and better. That's what he was trying to do with Job. Let's read on. Now when he says, His troops come on together and they have cast their siege ramp against me and camp around my tent. I can't help but think about Jesus on the cross. Where we said in the Psalms prophetically that the bulls of Bashan have compassed me about. Or they gnashed their teeth upon me. What, what, what really Job is saying here is that and he's going, there's a spiritual dimension involved as we have seen earlier and we know it's real. We don't war against, Paul said, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this present age, these fallen beings who are arrayed against you, and they compass themselves about. They railed on it. I mean, Jesus mentions that when He was on the cross, there were some spiritual things taking place around Him. And that's what was going on with Job on another level. I mean, he was the enemy had laid siege to Job's life. And attacked him with full force, the fury of hell itself. And he knew that. But he didn't know why. He didn't know the why. He didn't know how to get out of it. Well, here we're going to find the answer, amen? And he finds the answer. As we read on, we'll see. He may not know he has the answer, but it is the answer. He was compassed about on every side, and his condition was very grave. Secondly, we see his concern. His concern. Here he was alienated. You know, those who are going through difficult trials, who are going through difficult things, often find themselves alienated. You know, we can be sure, as I said earlier, that God has a purpose and a plan. Somebody say amen. Walk with me now. But alienation is a difficult thing. No man is an island. We're not made to be alone. We're made to be a part of a family, a part of a, a, a body. Somebody say amen. We, we need that companion, that family. We need strength that we can draw from others who love and care for us. But here he was alienated. Verse 13. He has put my brothers far from me. And those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. Well, he's, he's laying out a pretty dark picture here, isn't he? You think this man has that? Uh, uh, well, they didn't have all those pills that they got today, Xanax and all that stuff. He, he, he was in need of some depressive medication here or something, right? Well, he needed a shot of the Holy Ghost. Come on, man. My close friends have what? Forgotten me. You ever been there? Oh my. The guests in my house, my maid servants, count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife. And I'm a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. And when I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me. And those whom I love have turned against me. My bones stick to the skin and to my flesh. And I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Here's a man who was totally alienated from the life he once knew. The condition that he found himself in now, he was alone, bereft of any comfort, of any help, of any fellowship whatsoever. He had no one. Even his wife had turned against him. No one would even hear him. Think about that. How low can you go? How far down can someone slip in life? But obviously this man had fallen to the, to the very lowest. And you know, I, I look at those, and, and I look at my life, I look at the experiences of my short life, and you know what is, is, is very clear to me? I don't know about you. When people get in a situation where they're, they're dying, this man was dying, people withdraw 
from you. Did you know that? I, I remember when my grandmother was dying. I was in my late 20s. Ten years earlier, she had cancer. We prayed for her. God miraculously healed her. She was doing good. She was now on her deathbed. And my prayers had no effect. It was going to be her time to go. And I remember watching the family just kind of back up. I felt so bad. I, I didn't want to be around. I didn't know what to say. The one that I love so dearly, I didn't know what to say. Have you ever been around people that you just don't know what to say? You know, now there are people out there who, who always got something to say, but sometimes they just cut it off just keeping their mouth, you know. I'm the type of person, if I don't know an answer to something, I don't want to give you one. But it's, it's, a, it's a tough place. Now, Job was kind of, there's a dual dilemma. Now, he had, if you ever get around people who are deteriorating, who are in rough shape, they withdraw. I don't know if it's if people, when they have trouble in the mind, people want to stay away from that. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want to go around that. Remember when my sister-in-law passed away? We had her funeral here uh, just last month. And some of the other siblings, they're, 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 they're out of their mind. What do you say? How do you, you, you kind of stay away from that? You know, Job was in it, but does it help that person? Some 20 years after my grandmother passed away, then my mother is in a difficult situation. And I remember trying to talk to her on the phone, encouraged, but... Ultimately, it was similar, a similar thing. I didn't know what to say. You kind of back up. I now look back, I kind of I regret that. <laughs> you know, I regret. But it's, it's sort of a, maybe that's how Job's family was with him. They saw him, they thought, man, this is the end. You know, they, and here Job was crying out all the more for, to, he was, Alone. Man, that's probably the worst place you can be. Alone. It's one thing to have things happen to you, but quite another to be alone without nobody to help you go through those things. I said, well, preacher, you know you believe in heaven? Yes, sir, I do. Absolutely. You believe in hell? Yes, sir, I do. Absolutely. A place called heaven is a wonderful place. And I do believe that the righteous are destined to be there one day. Hell is a bad place. Why, what makes hell so bad, do you think? You know, you ever heard people who, who don't want to give their life to the Lord and they're running uh, with the world and that crowd and they're like, well, yeah, I'm just going to go to hell and be down there with all my friends. You're going to be alone. There's not going to be no friends down there. Now, I'm not talking to you. Hopefully, you're going to be in heaven. We're going to be there together. Somebody say amen. But those who go to hell as a place of utter isolation, desolation, and loneliness. And here a man had a... You can have... You know, how many believe on this side of heaven? You can have a little foretaste of that. Come on. Through the Spirit of God. Come on. You can also have a foretaste, like Job did, of the other place. He can taste that. That's what hell would be like. Oh, they magnified even more. And here he was in such a bad place. Some years ago, a man named Carlos Romulo, he was the former Filipino ambassador to the United States. He was here addressing a group of young teenagers. And as he was making his speech, he realized he wasn't having any effect, so he threw his notes away. And he said to them, Hey, look at me. I know I'm a funny-looking man, a little man, a foreigner to you. But see, I, I crack jokes. I wear clothes. I am a human being. Endowed with the dignity of a human soul. He said, when you learn that and you apply it, you will be contributing 
to international peace more than any diplomatic treaties that could be made. In other words, see me as a human being. I am somebody. Don't alienate me. And don't alienate You know, that's the biggest problem with our country today. Because we go around the world policing the world and we alienate people by the way we treat them. We don't treat them as humans. We don't treat we just treat them as collateral damage. People need to be seen as human, as individuals. We need to have dignity and maintain that. Somebody say amen. Amen. That was Joe, part of Job's concern, his alienation. And here we have his appeal, verse 21. He says this, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, oh my friends. Can you hear the pain in his voice? He's talking to his three buddies. They, they, they've been unrelenting, attacking him. Thinking somehow they're going to take up God's calls against Job and straighten him out. And the man's on his he's in the dust. He's as low as you can go. And he cries out, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Talking about kicking a man while he's down. Talking about piling on. Job said, man, let up. Please, have mercy on me. The great preacher... Harry A. Ironside, for many years pastor of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, Illinois, told of a time he was sitting by his wife's bedside in the hospital. Harry, she asked, do you feel for me? Of course I do, my dear, was his reply. The pastor's wife expressed what all sufferers desire, next to healing, that is, the sympathetic understanding of a loved one or a friend. Even our Lord longed for this when He instructed His disciples to watch with me as He entered into the shadows and agony of Gethsemane. He needed someone to be with Him. Harry, do you feel for me? Of course I do, dear. Job cried out to his friends, Have mercy on me, friends. It's not bad enough. God's taken my life from me. Are you going to have to do it too? Thirdly, we see Job's need. Oh, hallelujah. We see amazing scriptures. Some of the best scriptures, we've only got a few left in the chapter, but some of the most amazing ones are yet to come. And these next two scriptures are just mind boggling to me. Look at verse 23 and 24. We'll see something very powerful. We're going to look at Job's confidence now. And this is what we can be sure of. This is what will bring us through. The same thing that brought Job through. His confidence in the Lord ultimately. Now Job was down. Oh, he was down, but he was not out. It made it look like he was out, but he was not. Now you know what? As a young man growing up in the 60s and 70s, now, you don't see it much today. I was a big fight fan. I don't know, maybe some of y'all looking at me like, oh. I mean, there were some good fighters back in the day. I remember Sonny Listening. And Cassius Clay beating Sonny Listening. Then you have, you of course, change the name to Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman. You had all these great fighters. You know, some of you may remember Rocky Marciano undefeated. All these great fights, and, and, and I used to watch them all. And but something about—I don't know what it is—about I always pull for the underdog to win. <laughs> now, back in my day, the best fighter out was Muhammad Ali, and he had a big mouth too. You remember that? <laughs> I'm the greatest. And he, whoever he fought, I'm like, come on, Joe, knock him out, man. Because you always 
pull for the I pull for the underdog. But but when you look at a fight, it is it's brutal. It is why do I like fights? The fights as a it's it's really a spiritual thing. It's like what we deal with in a spiritual sense, only in a natural way. It's one man going up against another. Mono a mono. May the best man win. But you know, it's not always the strongest man. It's not always the most talented man. It's not always the biggest man. It's not always the most muscled man. It's the man that's got the heart inside I watch guys take a beating but won't quit. I've seen big, strong guys get hit on the jaw and go down and not get up. But to see a guy take a beating and to it doesn't happen often, and to rise up and deliver the beating, and at the end hold that hold that belt. Kind of like Job, man. Job had taken body blow after body blow and then big head shots. And Job was down. You know, he was being counted out eight. And yet he gets up. And that's really where we're going to end this message on that. Job's going to get up. And it's getting up by his faith. By his faith. Your, your and my faith is the victory that overcometh the world. Job would overcome by his faith. Now look what he says here. And this was what was down inside of him. Somebody said, well, you know, did the trial give him the faith? No, it was already there. What does your trial and your difficulty reveal something that's in you? The trial may take some things, excise things off of you, but it's what's in you that God wants to bring. God knew when He laid the gauntlet down to Satan what was inside of Job. Job didn't know, but he's about to bring it out. Look what Job says here in verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen or a chisel and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. Guess what, Job? You got your desire. It's right here. They're written. The very words you spoke are right here in front of us here today. And they're forever in the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? Now you know Job, do you think Job knew that when he said that? Absolutely not. He had no clue. Now think about this for a minute. Here was God who is the ultimate eternal being. No one is like Him. Fighting maybe the most powerful spiritual being out there. And just handle it with him with a man, a mortal man. Job really is representing all of us. Do you see this? Why did God make man, put him in the garden, give him dominion, and Satan usurp him? Because God knows ultimately man can handle that dominion. Because he's made in the image and likeness of his creator. And Job is he's showing through Job how to defeat the enemy. And Job is crying out, now when you're going through things and I'm going through things. We see what's in front of us right on our plate, don't we? That's what we see. Do you see beyond today? Do you see what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day? Who knows that? Who does know? He does. See, Job was like, man, am I... This was written in a book. I mean, he's got a book now called the book of what? The whole book written about his life and his words are inscribed. <laughs> He didn't know that. Do you know whatever you're dealing with right now? What's the outcome of your trial, of your circumstance, of your situation in the future? You don't know. Just like Job didn't know. But you know what? We know. We know what happened with Job, don't we? We know. This book, we got this book right here. We're reading about it now. Oh, that my words were written in a book. <laughs> Little did he know. That was his need. His need was to express himself. He had to let him. He, let, he wanted people to know what was going on. He, he, he wanted to tell his story. Boy, did he ever. 
what an amazing story that it is, friend. You see, his hope along with that confidence. We see his need to express himself, but we see his hope. Look at verse 25. For I know, this is the most, remember last week I said, this was a very powerful scripture that I was about to read. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Powerful scripture. This one is maybe the most powerful in the entire book of Job right here. Maybe in the whole Old Testament. Because you know what? There was no Old Testament when this was written. Job may have, been, may have been a contemporary of Abraham, but Abraham would have a son called Isaac. He would have a son called Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons. Then they would go into Egypt for 400 years, come out under Moses, and then be given the law by God, the commandments on Sinai. And then we would understand about things like the resurrection of the dead. You know, the, In Jesus' day, You know, the Bible took several thousand years to write. Did you know that? Job had no Bible. His story that he, this experience he would go through would become the Bible, a part of it. Amen. We didn't get it finished until a thousand years later when the New Testament authors finished it up. And here he speaks of things way before we had it written down of what, uh, look what he says here. For I know that my what? My Redeemer. How did he know there would be a Redeemer? Genesis hadn't been written yet. The, the, the seed of the woman wasn't spoken of yet. So how did he know that? It had to be oral. It had to be told to him by those who were living before the flood and it had to come through through the other side. And, and Job, Or he had a revelation from God. We don't know. But here he, he speaks the truth. I know that my Redeemer not will live. He lives. And that at the last he will stand upon the earth. Now you know there's many Bible commentaries and many things are said about this. Some people say the word redeemer really in the Hebrew means vindicator. One who will uh, vindicate my situation that I'm in. Regardless, irregardless, it matters not. It, it, it is true that there is a redeemer. His name is Jesus and he will stand upon the earth. But Job may have, may have just been talking about his situation. It doesn't really uh, affect the amazingness of the situation because look what he goes on to say. And after my skin has what? Thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, even though my heart faints within me, even though I'm losing it, I'm dying. He said, I know if I'm not saved on this side from death, I'm going to be raised up into a new body altogether. And it's going to be my eyes that are going to see my Redeemer. He's speaking of the resurrection of the dead. And with that in mind, I have a quotation from a man who prepared a 20-minute talk on tape directed that it be played at his funeral. Can you imagine a fellow laying out at a funeral service in the casket? Graveyard dead. They put the tape on of his voice. And this is what he said. The body you now see, he said, and which has been the dwelling place of my spirit, it will return to the dust. Then he added, but when the time for the resurrection of my body comes, that same dust will again become the dwelling place of my spirit. That's exactly what Job was saying. Even though I return to the dust, it's not over. I'm coming back and I'm going to see my Redeemer. He understood life was not just this temporary place for 70, 80, 100 years. It, it, it goes on even after this. It will be. There is a resurrection. There is a Redeemer. There is one who will... Bring us back into relationship with God so that we can live in perpetuity with Him. Somebody say amen. 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 You know, this is a, a prevalent thought, even in the world we're in today. You know, I have a, a little article clipping here from some years ago when I was growing up. Okay. When I was in my youth here in the United States of America, 
back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, you know, we, we, we were the me generation. You know what I'm saying? Several years ago, the Harris Corporation Associates published a result of a public survey poll in which respondents were asked, quote, if you had to choose one thing as the most important for the nation and for the world, what would you put first? And here are the results of that poll. Now, this is 100%. So at 31%, well, well above any of the other ones, the, the first, the number one response, and now of course, says to get all people to believe in God, 31%. That's the most important thing, get all people to believe in God. At a distant set, almost half of that at 16%, control the use of nuclear bombs. At number three, do away with communism. Now that's the one that wouldn't hold today because most of the half of the country want to become communism. Who would ever have thought that 30 years ago? Okay. Number four, cure cancer at 11%. Now each of the other ones are real close. 12, 11, now 10% is uh, prevent uh, economic depressions, 10%. Rid the world of poverty, 9%. Give minorities full rights at 7%. Now we want to give illegal aliens full rights. I mean, we, we've come totally flipped on our head, you know. And the last one is uh, cure heart disease at 4%. What's interesting to note is that the most confused, restless generation in the history of this country still felt that its greatest need is faith in God. And really, that's what Job, when it came down to the very end, he said, I, I, I believe and my hope is in Him. So I'm going to say amen. amen. It's fundamental hope. And really, this is what Job was speaking of himself 4,000 years ago. That I, my hope is in my redeemer. Lastly, we see his warning to his friends. In verse 28, if you say, how will we pursue Him? Or we're going to go after Him? And the root of the matter is found in him. In other words, he's the cause of the problem. Job would say, be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword. That you may know there is a judgment. Well, they were going to be harsh. They were harsh on, on Job. And Job was saying, hey, you better be careful how you judge me. For what measure you measure it out to me is going to be measured back. You know, a woman aboard a ship floundering in a storm asked the captain if there was danger of the ship sinking. The captain answered, we are entirely in the hands of God. To which the passenger replied, oh, I hoped it wasn't as bad as that. Job took a different view than that. He was aware that the treatment he received from men was worse than what he received from God. God's dealings with us, church, just like with Job, are tempered by His grace and kindness. We ought to be kind to others when we see them going through difficulty and suffering and consider ourselves lest we also be tested in such a way. You know, I look back and I've been through some things and I'm sure if I live any longer I'll go through some more things. But like Job, we need to hold on to his nail-scarred hand. We need to look to our Redeemer and realize there is a purpose in the pain. We can be sure of that. Someone has said, doubt your doubts, believe your beliefs, but never believe your doubts or doubt your beliefs. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Say that four times real fast and you'll have it right there. Job had his doubts, amen. He was puzzled because of his adversity. And I've been there, my friend. His friends claimed he was a secret sinner. Job denied this, but he could not account for God's strange dealings with him. God seemed to Job bent on destroying him as though he no longer wanted him to live. 
Yet Job knew this was not really true. God had a purpose in all of these sufferings. And someday, God would appear before His servant and make everything plain. That was Job's confidence. That's what he believed. When it seemed that Job had just about given up, and usually that's where we have to get church, just about ready to give up, his faith again rose to the surface to conquer those doubts. It's like that fighter. He's going down. Eight, nine, beats up, gets up. Just in time to go on and deliver the knockout punch to his opponent. And that's really what Job did to the devil. I could see Satan laughing. I've got him. He's down. It's it. I've won. I've beat. And yet his faith came through. That's why Job, my friend, is in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the great men of faith that have ever lived. The added bonus for Christians is that God often makes His purpose clear to us even in this life. When Pilgrim crossed the chasm and looked back, he could see the difficulties through which the Lord had led him. We take the Lord's hand and let Him lead. One day we will see in this life or the next and understand the reason for the difficulties of the way that we've been going. Meanwhile, we should be satisfied to rest in His promises and to encourage rather than accuse fellow Christians who go through difficult circumstances. Let's stand. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.